Hey guys, welcome to what we are calling right now the After Action Report. The idea is that sermon giving can often feel like combat sometimes as we war against the spiritual darkness. Uh, and there are often things that we want to cover in sermons that we can't cover for time's sake, even though we go 60-70 minutes. Um, there's just a lot that's left on the cutting room floor, a lot of different avenues that you can take with a sermon. So what we want to do is provide a short opportunity to... Ask the preacher of the week questions that, hey, what are some things maybe you didn't get to cover? Is there something you want to dive into a little bit deeper? Um, or what are some of your, just your reflections from the sermon? Uh, so this week, Pastor Matt was up and we had at the beginning of our new series, Christ the Lord. Uh, you got to hear the shocking news of a, a name change. Uh, <laughs> it may or may not have been shocking. Um, but we're, we're excited about that. There's a lot going on with what we are trying to do. And refocusing our vision like we do every fall. Um, so with that, um, welcome to the show, Pastor Matt. <laughs> hey, not, guys. It's not a show, and you know us already, so it's not that. It's kind of weird. Um, so first up, let's go ahead and talk about the name change. Why the name change? Why now? You, you alluded to us having voted on that back in March um, as elders, but uh, what's kind of your heartbeat behind that? What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, it's a, a joy to to get to elaborate on some of these things, and uh, excited to um, bring some further perspective and and further uh, comments on on such things. But uh, directly to the point, why why the name, and kind of what's the the heartbeat behind the name? You know, as as Russ as as the elders know. It's probably about three years ago, somewhere roughly in there. I actually desired to change the name to Christ the Lord or Christ our Lord or um, one of those two. And uh, for various reasons, we, we chose to go a different direction. Uh, good reasons, I believe, in the moment. But uh, that, that's kind of been on, on my heart for, for quite a while and, and that name. And I, and I think... The, the biggest thing, you heard some of this come out in the sermon on Sunday, is that I think Christ the Lord communicates really the heartbeat of God's eternal plan. His heartbeat, if you think about his heartbeat, like it's, it's that, the kind of the driving thing at the center that everything else like orbits around. Uh, and at the center of God's heartbeat for eternity is ultimately the preeminence of Christ. It's, it's him displayed as Lord over all of creation. And it's, it's really easy, though, for us as Christians to, to kind of get that heartbeat um, confused with other important aspects of, of God's eternal plan. It's really easy for us to kind of unseat the exaltation of Jesus and make other things like his graciousness, his mercy, uh, his trustworthiness, even things like the cross or the gospel, all of those are crucial to God's eternal plan, and those things orbit nearest to the center. But these things serve a greater purpose. The greatest purpose is not to display how merciful God is, although he is merciful, but his mercy and his graciousness and the cross and the gospel and the likes serve the greater purpose of the exaltation of Jesus. 
the the lordship, the preeminence, the rulership, the the point of it all that Jesus is. And so I think Christians though have unfortunately made man at the center. And what comes easy after you make man the center is these things that uh, serve man. And, and certainly God's graciousness, God's mercy, his trustworthiness, the cross, those things certainly serve man, but they serve something even greater, and that's Christ. So even in our first name back 12 years ago with the name Renovation, I, I think my, my motives were godly, but, but a name really communicates the heartbeat of a vision, of a congregation, of a group of people. And at that point, our heartbeat was seeing lives changed. And it's still, that still orbits very closely around the center, seeing lives renovated, seeing lives changed. It's, that's a great item, but it, but it shouldn't be the heartbeat. It should just orbit close to the heartbeat. But the center of God's eternal plan is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord over the cosmos. And I wanted the name of our congregation to communicate the heartbeat of, of God's eternal plan. Yeah, it's crazy how quickly man can get shifted into the middle because those blessings that do come are really prolific. I mean, that's what it means to have the inheritance of Christ. There's so much that's wrapped up in the benefits that we get, everything that comes with that. But it's as if God's glory, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's glory is there, but it's a footnote to what's happening, which is us. I mean, even in, in Ephesians 1, you have, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, mm -hmm. right? So much blessings. Goes on to list what those are, what he's making us, he's predestined us, all this stuff. But he keeps giving us the purpose statements inside of that. This is what he's doing, but here's why. To the praise of his glorious grace, right? And then to the end, after having talked about uniting all things in him, all that, that's the that's the purpose set forth in Christ, uniting all things in him. And then at the bottom, uh, in verse 14, uh, we get this inheritance and we'll eventually acquire possession of it. And then we read the next part as a footnote to the praise of his glory. Yeah, yeah. Let's shrug that part off. Well, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the point. That's the glory is he's getting all this in a sense. This may be, in a sense, we're a means to that end, right? No, absolutely. So I, I have no problem saying that's we're what he a means holds to the end of his glory. Yeah, absolutely. that's what he's holding up highest, and he goes on to then say that in the end of his prayers. So that it's so easy to take these amazing things, and of course they're close to the heart, but missing what it's pointing to mm -hmm. so easily. Yeah, yeah. I think that your your idea of it being a footnote, that point where he says to the praise of his glory. Uh, and what comes before that as being our emphasis, oftentimes in the in the Christian church, even in uh, good uh, or uh, good reformed churches, even uh, they they'll footnote that last praise in uh, that last phrase. And and you notice even uh, a year and a half ago, we we shifted our vision statement to to say that no matter what, the objective reality is that we exist for the glory of God. That we are a means to his end. And so just to put an exclamation point on that, I have no problem saying we're a means to that end. But that's a glorious thing that we get to be a part of. No yeah, pun intended. No. Look at all these inheritances that we get. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. 
yeah, that's that's been super helpful. We've been looking forward to that. Um, of course, we, on a side note, like the high church feel of that. That doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's the name change. A lot will come kind of through that. But at the same time, not a whole lot is changing because that's it's been, the, as, he, as he said, the heartbeat for a while now. So moving on into, I guess, the actual sermon um, content into the preeminence component. Uh, what are, are there some other kind of things that you'd like to explore? Um, obviously we're trying to, especially this first week, it's always hard to establish a new series. You have to cover your text and set up, you know, the next four or five weeks that we spent a lot of time on the preeminence of Christ and holding that forward. But there's a lot of ripples that go through those other spheres that you mentioned and that we talked about a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, is there some more you'd like to share with that? Yeah, I think one of the things I would have loved to have had more time on is its translation, the Lordship of Christ and its translation into the home. Um, uh, lordship in the home. You know, the husband is God's imaging of that lordship in the home where he has authority and responsibility over the household. And it just it wasn't a sermon on on that kind of application, um, and even though I could have went that route, but we're, we're going to talk about some of this a little more in a few weeks in, as we get to our distinctives as a church. But just a couple highlights of that, as we think about the husband, and, and we're going to use this phrase, father rule, uh, which is a, kind of a, a different way of saying like lordship in the home. We, I want to be clear that when we, when we think about that, just as it reflects Christ's lordship, it's not a, it's not a lording over or an exploiting of that home, but it, but a godly lord, uh, lowercase L, is is one who's imaging Christ's lordship, in a way that leads and best promotes the godly flourishing of his of his wife and kids, just as the Lord Christ the Lord does with his bride where he leads in a way that's not always our preference. It doesn't always fit our agenda. It's not always our timing. Sometimes it even hurts, but it's always for our good. And so a, a godly husband who is ruling in his house, this is a natural outworking of that, um, this lordship of Christ, that this husband will set the temperature of the home and, and not just be uh, a passive thermos, uh, uh, thermometer where he's just kind of reading and going along with things. But he will look to the Lord and then look to his home. And how do I align the home with uh, the Lordship of Christ that I see in the Scriptures, that I'm being taught in the Scriptures? He'll set the mission of the home for the furthering of the Lordship of Christ. And then in response, a, a godly wife should should foster in herself uh, by repentance and faith, uh, just as the husband going to the Word should foster uh, and see in her an appreciation for the beauty of, of God's mission and join him in that mission. And then also help hold him accountable and encourage him in godly lordship and godly rulership uh, that, that he is seeking to image of Christ. Um, so I think that's something I would have loved to have had an opportunity to say a little bit more, but yeah, the yeah. authority and responsibility ripples in all of those different spheres mm-hmm. um, from how high, how much authority, and then if they have any measure of that, responsibility must be circumspect to that. Yeah. Or, yeah. Th- or there's no actual movement available to them. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, underneath then my lordship in my home, uh, my wife has a measure of lordship too. Like, there are domains inside of our household that she, underneath my leadership, exercises authority and responsibility uh, over the kids, uh, even in her job outside the home as she seeks to, to live in a way that benefits the home from her career uh, or her job outside the home. Uh, and then my kids, I'm trying to train them to exercise lordship as well in their correct domains, uh, like, you know, keeping their bedrooms clean um, or just eating all the food on their plates. Uh, these are matters of lordship that start small uh, and uh, are getting their homework done or being attentive in class or telling a classmate to be quiet so that they can listen to the teacher. I mean, these are lordship matters that ripples that they have they have the responsibility to in that example to listen to their teachers to do their classwork well i want to give them the authority to to work towards making that happen so i've given my kids the authority to say to their classmates you should be quiet so that i can listen and you should listen too so i'm trying to train them to be little l lords in their own domains as well and christ's lordship affects all those things so yeah i've been interested in the sphere of sovereignty component that as you are increasingly under other uh, other authorities and other people are responsible for you you always 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 maintain authority of self right yes that, that, self-governing that self-governance yeah. is is what we would just usually call self-control or discipline yeah is the outworking of self-governance every time like yeah you have to respond to their authority they that person's responsible for you but you have the responsibility to to submit to follow and you have to usually do that by dying to self yeah so yeah that yeah. that self-governance sphere it, it really always starts there and comes back to that yes and each time that's super helpful um I know that we have been talking about in a few different ways uh, this idea of definitions, language, expectations, cultural definitions of niceness, kindness, loving, gentleness, mercy, compassion, empathy. These words that are actually concrete in a very real way, particularly in the scriptures, that have just turned into this amorphous, amalgamous whatever thing that you want it can mean anything and everything at all times and it really depends on what people's individual definitions are but even then i just listed like eight synonyms <laughs> that just get substituted right in yeah yeah so when you think about that and particularly in view of what we talked about yesterday um the idea of lordship in regards to kindness in gentleness, try to, I mean, we could talk for hours on this idea of niceness, but in regards to leadership, lordship, what does the kindness of a lord look like? What does the gentleness of a lord look like? Yeah, yeah, it's good questions. I, I want to answer two questions you didn't ask first, though, because, you know, that's how I roll. Uh, the first one is, you know, we, we talk about being a reformed church, and one of the things that being a reformed church means is that you engage in the culture and politics and such. Which leads me to my second question that I'm answering that you didn't ask, 
is the the culture right now particularly is engaged in a sort of warfare that involves not defining things uh they, they want to keep us on our on our feet uh and keep us confused and so but if we believe in objective reality then there is a definition to a word and we need to attach that definition to a word and we need to make that happen so that then leads us to this idea of nice and kind and loving and you know in in the sermon i i, I went towards making the point that it's all of Christ or it's none of Christ. When we start saying, this is the portion that's most palatable for me, uh, then, then we, have, we have, what we end up with is not Christ. We just end up with a different version of ourselves or a, a mirror image of ourselves. And we, people have been saying that for a long time, and that's not new to Christendom. But, but we want all of Christ because his lordship, we want all of his lordship. And so, just if I could talk real quick about nice and loving and kind, we've taken, uh, the, by, by nice, our culture really defines nice as this sort of uh, uh, status quo, altogether cooperative, agreeable, kind of the guy that never ruffles the feathers. Uh, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, this is pliable. He's the one that's always agreeable with the people in the room. He's, he's not pushing the envelope. It's certainly not the guy who would go flip over tables or take a whip to intimidate people as Jesus did. Um, but kind and loving are, are more are godly defined uh, uh, fruits of the Spirit that uh, where kind of like thinking... Um, mercy uh, and grace, giving someone something that they don't deserve, but is God's defined good for them. Uh, so kindness then can look like to a child, so to, to take your question, like how does this affect, let's say, lordship, Christ's lordship? So let's take that, and now let's, let's think about that in the application of a of a mom and a dad in the realm of parenting. So there are lords in the realm of parenting with their children, lowercase l. So it might be kind. If, if kindness and niceness and loving are all this like altogether agreeable, then you get a kind of parenting that just accommodates the, the sinful, the foolish whims of a child. Which, as we know, it's just really dangerous. That's really, really dangerous. And not what is good for that child. It's not loving. It's by definition, not loving. It's by definition not loving. But if my... So that we're going to call that nice parenting. And we're not after nice parenting. We're a nice lordship in our parenting. We're after loving and kind. Well, there might be a moment in parenting where what is the most kind thing for me to do is to get down on my knees to look my child in the face and say, son, I love you. And um, let's go do this next thing in our day. But three minutes later, what might be most kind is for me to get down on my knees and tell my child to be quiet. I'm having a conversation with someone else and you're interrupting. You're not the center of the universe. So unless this is an emergency, then 
you need to stop. You need to wait. You need to be quiet. Why? I mean, we think in that moment, what's the big deal? What the big deal is at that moment, that child is exercising what they believe to be lordship over their parent. They believe they're the center of the universe and that what they say goes and that I, as the parent, need to bow to their lordship. Well, think about where that goes in 20 years when they're dealing with something and the Lord is saying that is sinful life. Well, they start believing their Lord over the Lord, uppercase L, and now they don't obey our Heavenly Father. And it started in that moment where you taught that child that they were the Lord of that moment. So what was most kind in that moment? The kindness. It might have been nice to accommodate their perceived emergency, but it wasn't kind because you set them up for a life of rebellion. That's not being kind. That's not a lordship that is loving. That's not the loving kindness mm. of a father. He is to rule. The mother in that moment is to rule in a way that would lead that child to recognize the merciful, gracious, just, kind, compassionate, loving lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's all the synonyms. I go. think that's why yesterday the word preeminence is so helpful because they want to become the preeminent one. Yeah. That's what actually sets them up ahead of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the thing that was helpful was you were discussing the language. Um, as you said, Christ's lordship isn't always nice, but it is always righteous. Mm-hmm. The focus on the idea of what is righteous and what is sin should be what comes to the front, not parsing the small words, right? When we look at uh, the list of the fruit of the spirit and the fruits of the flesh in Galatians, we, again, footnote those categories right it's Mm -hmm. it's a the spirit and it's the flesh so we don't have to dive deep on kindness we don't have to dive deep on gentleness paul's point is as he says later keep in step with the spirit right that that's the goal not keep in step with kindness yeah these things will characterize the person who's living righteous or as the psalmist would say the upright right that picture of which category are we in because now we have a, a, a person who doesn't have to be this this one specific aspect that can be amorphous, but we have someone who's submissive to Christ and his lordship and is now walking in the spirit. Yeah, That's the kind of person that we should be after. And, and it's so important because, to your point, we need to be able to recognize uh, when we see it, um, yeah. both of these things, so that we can represent it. We know what it looks like, and we can then represent that back to them. Because that picture of kindness in Galatians is really that definition of charitableness and being uh, useful. Like if you look at the same word for it in Romans 3, it has this picture of being useful. And most people's niceness is it's not useful. No. Well, it's useful for the flesh. It's useful for the flesh. It's useful for whatever you might be actually really manipulating someone yeah. for well, it's, it's useful for keeping yourself well liked mm-hmm. it's useful for making other people uh, feel good about themselves it, it's useful for for lots of those things but and is it costly is it costly nope no nope and that that's the point of this usefulness when it actually gets into kindness or gentleness and love that loving kindness is costly it's going to cost you something yeah absolutely which is 
sacrificial leadership, mm-hmm. right? Which we see in the Lord. Yep. And we see that in a, then in a, again, a lowercase l, husband, father, mother, Lord, where they're saying to their child, no, I'm not going to give you what you want right now because you're not Lord. And what's that do? What's that cost them? In the moment, it costs them the, uh, the points in being nice. But what is gained? Mm-hmm. What stands to be gained in that moment? A, order definitely is gained in that moment, or at least eventually. But then what stands to be gained is the eternal salvation of your child. Yep. And that goes but, straight into where you went yesterday. It's productive. All right. So this kindness is actually useful. Yes. It's productive. Yes. And so we actually then find that Christ or chaos. Yes. Amen. So, yeah. Well, as we wrap up uh, today, um, you know, where do we kind of go from here? It's a it's a new day in a sense. Uh, it's a new name. Um, that That's a little and a lot, you know. Uh, again, nothing kind of changes in one sense, but in another sense, uh, it's a new chapter. So uh, what kind of words would you have to close this up as we... Uh, look at this preeminent Lord uh, as we look at our vision going forward and start really touching on our distinctives over the next couple of weeks. Um, what kind of words would you have to close us out? Yeah, I would just say if Christ is Lord, like presently Lord, like we believe in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So not just the righteous life, and not just the cross, but we believe in all four of those components. The righteous life, the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension. That he has ascended to the throne. That he alone is Lord. Then that, I believe, that changes everything. All of those points together, leading to his lordship and his exaltation, his preeminence, changes everything. Just for example... Uh, as I said in the sermon on Sunday, the resurrection guarantees and secures all the claims of lordship, all of the effects of that lordship, where that lordship heads. And if that's true, then God's people can and should walk with expectation. Like we can walk with confidence and assurance that we can, like Nehemiah, have a sword in one hand, and have a trowel in the other while we're building the wall where we can say uh, to Christ's enemies, why should I even bother with you? I'm up here doing the Lord's work, building this wall. Like we can have this expectation. Um, as someone said, we don't have to live with a scarcity mindset. Our, our Lord is not some dude that's just off to the side and he's got this little small kingdom and, and he might have a little bit of extra money. But, but he's the Lord of the entire cosmos. It's all his. And we should live in that kind of mindset that, that when I come home, that having a rightly ordered household is there. It's there for the taking. I, it, it, Christ is Lord over this. I just need to make the necessary adjustments by repentance and faith to head in that direction. That we should, uh, next, that we should image his lordship and not back down to the evil world around us, but we should live with boldness. We should fear more the one who can kill the body and soul than just the one who can kill the body because the body is expendable. But Christ's lordship never changes. It never shifts. It never changes. We also need to know the scriptures well. 
Where should we go from here? We should know the scriptures well so that we can reflect his lordship well. And then if we understand what lordship means, then we should understand our station before that Lord. That, that we, we don't just walk into the room expecting the Lord to, uh, to do whatever our whims desire, um, but we should be humble and teachable and meek before the Lord. Um, because he's, why? Because he's our Lord. Be, because he is the preeminent one. Uh, and yes, we get to call, uh, we get to call God our Father. And there is a certain intimacy there as well. But it's never without respect. And it's never without understanding our station before him. And, and in if fact, we under- Proverbs, appropriate fear of the Lord. Yeah, appropriate fear of the Lord. So there's, we don't get closeness to God by bringing him more down to our level. We get, we get closer to God by understanding how highly exalted he is and then realizing that he sent his son to welcome us into his family, to, to, to cover us with his blood that we could be welcomed into his family. So where do we go from here? I think Christ the Lord, I think that name, and I think that kind of focus changes everything. And it changes everything as a church. Um, it changes everything in our lives. Um, it really does mean something. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's super helpful. Well, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series as we get to tackle the distinctives. Uh, worked long and hard on those and trying to refine them down to four because um, otherwise this series could probably be nine weeks or so. Uh, so we're looking forward to that and uh, want to hope encourage you guys with these words. I hope that the sermon has been helpful for you as we look at our vision this season and want to encourage you guys all to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. See you next week. See you guys.